Welcome to Global Minnesota Podcast, connecting, informing, and engaging Minnesotans with the world and exploring important international issues. For a complete list of programs and to join us, visit globalminnesota.org. Welcome to all who've joined us for Global Minnesota's Global Conversation. Tonight, we're going to be looking at a topic that's one of the many on the global foreign affairs agenda, Myanmar and ASEAN. And this topic is part of the National Global Conversations Great Decisions Program, which many groups all over the state of Minnesota and all over the nation uh, gather each month or many months in the, in the year and take a specific topic and dive deeply into that question that's on our nation and on the planet's mind in terms of global and foreign affairs. And these conversations are often topics that we are as a nation grappling with. And one of the many, and one that we'll be tackling tonight is one that especially impacts us here in Minnesota because we have so many people who've come here from Myanmar. And so tonight's guest and tonight's conversation will be, I think, especially important for all of us coming to know more about our neighbors, coming to know more about the planet and giving a, dig a deeper sense of some of the options and possibilities, some of the directions things can go. This program is possible because of the generosity of all of our Global Minnesota members. My name is Mark Ritchie and I have the honor of serving as president of Global Minnesota. And these free and now available global conversations and webinars are some of the parts that your membership contributions help to create in the broader mission of Global Minnesota, advancing international understanding and engagement. We like to say that we specialize in connecting Minnesotans to the world and the world to Minnesota. And our two guests tonight will help us do that in some very extraordinary and unique ways. We have partners in these great conversations and global conversation uh, programs. The Minneapolis Central Library and Friends of the Hennepin County Library and Landmark Center. These are some of the partners that we, in times when we are able to gather in person, have been our hosts for many years for these conversations. But there are also great decisions groups in many other places that we partner with as well. The Edina Senior Center and Friends of the Edina Library, very important partners of ours, Washburn Library, Plymouth, and many more throughout the state. Tonight's program, we're going to be joined in, in this conversation with two uh, experts, two very interesting perspectives on this. Uh, Associate Political Science Professor Tun Min from uh, Carleton College. He will be discussing both Myanmar and neighbors. And um, our moderator tonight, Christy Seiber, an, another associate professor of political science at the College of St. Benedict and, and St. John's University. For those of you watching who have questions, you can send them to us via this email. So questions with an S at globalminnesota.org. Our speaker tonight, Dr. Tunman, is an associate professor at Carleton. He was a student leader in the 1988 democracy movement in Myanmar and widely, widely respected for his impact on both politics and society in his country. The founder and a member of the editorial board of the Independent Journal of 
Burmese scholarship. He is director of the public memory of the Myanmar Digital Archive, often called on to be a commentator about issues in Burma. I myself was very fortunate to be able to have visited there, having my families uh, in Bangkok for part of their lives and going to visit Bagan and Inlet Lake and some of them very credible, beautiful, but also historic and internationally very, very important parts of Myanmar. And tonight we'll be able to talk to someone whose love of his country and love of his people has been a motivating force in his life in his politics, in his work in the community, and in his work in his uh, academic career as well. He's a research fellow of Asian Public Policy and Joint Program of the National Bureau of Research at the Woodrow Wilson Center on International Scholars. Professor, please join me on the screen and the microphone is yours. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Ritchie, uh, for a nice introduction. And hello to everyone uh, who are from maybe all over the United States or all over the world. Uh, and thank you to the Global Minnesota for inviting me to share uh, my observation and my thought on Myanmar or Burma. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to share uh, slides uh, and then uh, I will spend a uh, presentation uh, of what I would like to share with you and then um, I would then have question and answer session from there. So, <clears throat> um, so I'm asked to uh, share my thought on Myanmar and ASEAN. Uh, I would do so. However, it has to be uh, uh, framed within the uh, this responses from the global community as a whole. So I'll try my uh, best to frame the uh, the current crisis in Myanmar and also the the responses from the world and also from ASEAN. So uh, why was there a coup in uh, 2021, on February 1st, 2021? Uh, what is happening now in Myanmar or Burma? And then what are the responses from ASEAN and the world? And then um, I would love to hear your question at the end um, as we uh, discuss uh, the crisis in Myanmar. Um, so with that, uh, if you are, uh, are familiar with Myanmar, you would know that Myanmar or Burma uh, had a nominal, nominal transition to democracy. Uh, that democracy uh, started out in 2010 and ended in 2021 on February 1st. So about 10 years of uh, nominal transition to democracy started. And with that, mm -hmm. trans that transition was uh, under the 2008 constitution uh, that was drafted by the military itself. And the military that had uh, uh, stage a coup in 1988 uh, movement. From that point on all the way to 2008, it took uh, years to draft this constitution. Under this constitution, the military controls uh, three ministries of the government, uh, defense, ministry of defense, and then ministry of interior or interior, uh, ministry of border affairs, which are basically having to do with ethnic uh, minority areas in the border area, especially. In addition to the control of the budget and functions of the, those three ministries, uh, the commander in chief also appoints 25% of national and regional state parliaments uh, uh, handpicked by him. Um, so that means only 75% uh, of national parliament to regional parliaments are 
democratically elected. So it's really not a democracy. It is a Samai democracy uh, uh, controlled by the military in, in, in a way. And also it requires, the constitution requires 75% of members of parliament to change anything. So let's say to change uh, a ministry of interior to be under the civilian government, uh, you would not be able to change it unless you have uh, the uh, 75%. So with that, uh, the 2010 election uh, was won by the military-led uh, political party, USDP, uh, Union Solidarity Development Party. And that party run uh, by the, uh, led by the former military general, Uthain Singh, and he led the government from 2010 to 2015. In 2015, uh, the National League for Democracy, NLD, uh, led by Do Aung San Suu Kyi, won the election, landslides. So from 2015 to 2020, uh, it was a sort of a democratic government in a sense that the uh, National League for Democracy Party, Civilian Party, was leading the country. Uh, during that five year uh, of the leading the country, the NLD, NLD came up with the constitutional reform amendments, about 114 amendments. Uh, those amendments were a part of the election campaign in 2020 election. Uh, in Burma had election on November 8, 2020, and that election, again, more than 2015, uh, civilian voted for National League for Democracy, the, meaning NLD won landslides. Uh, 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 in, in Myanmar, and that members of elect, members of uh, uh, parliament who were elected by uh, people on November eight uh, in twenty twenty uh, were in Nebido um, on uh, February first um, uh, uh, at the end of January. They were already in Nebido to convene the uh, new parliament on February first at nine a.m. The coup happened on at 3 a.m. in February 1st, meaning that all the members of parliament who were in Nibido, uh, who were sleeping probably in the residential or dormitory of the members of parliament were all basically locked up. Uh, and Don San Suu Kyi and that the president women were arrested. So basically it nullified legitimate free and fair election of uh, 2020, November 8. So the responses from the public now is 12 months and it is ongoing. Uh, the first responses were obviously protests in homes, which were basically uh, drumming uh, pots and pans uh, at uh, basically trying to drive these, the goats of military uh, coup in the past and military leaders in the past and not to really stage a coup, to get rid of the coup. And then uh, on the fourth, beginning on the 4th of February, people uh, walked on the streets, uh, protest. It's an, it was nationwide, uh, very diverse and creative uh, democracy movement you have probably ever seen in, in the history of the war in terms of the skill, uh, creativity, and the, 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 the resilience of the protesters. And it's also uh, in the rural area and ethnic area where all participated. It's nationwide and ongoing as, as we speak today. At the same time, the uh, government servants uh, walked out of their offices and position, and they engaged in what is now known as a civil disobedient movement, CDM. And CDM is basically trying to uh, deny the function of military council to complete the coup. And the coup is not complete yet. It is stay attempted coup in Myanmar because of the CDM movement, which is civilians, workers, and, and, and uh, servants are denying 
the functions of the government of another military uh, council. At the same time, we have uh, Myanmar has ethnic armed organization and ethnic arms revolutions uh, that is ongoing. Myanmar, in fact, is the longest uh, country which has the longest civil war uh, since 1948, uh, so about 70, over 70 years. Um, and then in April of 2021, uh, members of parliament who were not arrested, who were uh, free, they uh, formed a established a national unity government. This is the government now uh, parallelly uh, uh, in Myanmar and also outside Myanmar, people of national unity government are everywhere now. Uh, they are convening the uh, government as a government of the people. And at the same time, uh, civilians uh, begin to establish people defense forces, which are basically to defend themselves and to attack military, uh, which would uh, come and attack their villages and their homes. So this is the defensive force that the National Unity Government and PDF are working. At the same time, we have civilian defense forces and other groups that are not necessarily uh, aligned or under the NUG, but they are working for the same goal of getting rid of military dictatorship from Myanmar. So the um, responses, uh, if you can see the first map here, uh, you can see the uh, within one month, uh, you get a number of uh, clashes here in by the, by the red area where the clashes between civilian forces, resistance and the military uh, had been. Uh, ongoing. This is just in one month, you have about over um, 605 uh, clashes in, in that period from January 1st to uh, January, first week of January to the first week of uh, basically, um, um, uh, first week of December to first week of January. And then the military responded very uh, harsh, uh, now burning villages and killing people. Uh, some of them were killed live. I mean, tie behind their, 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 their back and then burn them alive. And some of the villages are being now uh, uh, bombed and also burned down uh, village one after another, especially in Zagai and also Korean area uh, in the east side of Myanmar. So um, with those responses from the Myanmar military, uh, the people are continuing their resistance now, both peaceful protests, CDM, and also at the same time, people defense forces, civilian forces that are with arms. So the first country that uh, uh, in a policy wide responded was the United States. President Biden on February 11th um, issued executive order. In that executive order, he defined the coup in Myanmar constitutes an unusual and extraordinary threat to the national security and foreign policy of the United States. I hereby declare a national emergency to deal with that threat. So this is the president who declared uh, only a, a month after in the White House, whose uh, faith uh, to become as a president of the United States was also in question on January 6 uh, of the 2021, as well as we know here in the United States. So, uh, so presidents, uh, uh, I think, rightly framed the situation in Myanmar as a unusual and extraordinary national threat because it is a threat to democracy. Yeah, demo threat to democracy in Myanmar is a sort of threat to democracy everywhere. With the rise of authoritarian uh, um, government around the world, this is, I think, the right framing the president basically strike uh, in that uh, executive order. So the United States is uh, using the framework of response based on, I would say, four uh, channels. One is Obama, end of 2021. Uh, the, the House is now preparing 
uh, to mock up uh, the, the bill uh, and, and hopefully it will go on the flow and vote. Uh, Senate uh, is not doing anything on it yet. Uh, uh, I think Indiana, Senator from Indiana is holding, uh, as I heard, uh, not to get further yet. Um, so that would be interesting how the senators within the United States Senate uh, would uh, maneuver that to be voted uh, on the floor. And the other is the National Defense Authorization Act of 2022. And that is the US annual uh, NDAA Act. And in that Act, Burma is uh, spelled out in three sections of the Act. In there, it clarifying how the United States should respond going forward and whether the United States should recognize national unity government. That was the government by the people of the people of Myanmar. Uh, so they are examining how to recognize their national unity government and also at the same time, how to support uh, CDM and protest in Myanmar and also humanitarian and other ethnic uh, uh, conflict areas. So this is ongoing sort of review of Myanmar. I think president signed on uh, December 27th and within six months, uh, president has to respond to the Congress, report to the Congress how United States policy should be on Myanmar moving forward. Um, the other is appropriation bill. Appropriation bill designated 130, I think six million to be spent on uh, examining the crisis in Myanmar by uh, the end of September. Uh, the Biden administration has to spend that money. And so USAID and others are now engaging, State Department and so on, are engaging in these question and how to spend. And Biden president policy is, a, uh, as you can see with that executive order, he issued targeted sanctions, uh, targeting military leaders. And then after that, he also is now currently reviewing the possibility of uh, recognizing national unity government of Myanmar. Um, so those are two uh, areas where Biden is framing. At the same time, the United Nations, uh, of course, with also with the Biden administration, diplomats are in discussion, uh, in, in talk. Uh, but United Nations itself has done some, uh, some progress in some area, but none in the other, especially under the UN Security Council. Uh, so UN General Assembly uh, last year, uh, September, uh, had an annual meeting. And in that annual meeting, uh, the UN General uh, Assembly, uh, UN Credential Committee, uh, basically decided to retain also uh, the, the Ambassador Ujo Motron as a people who, uh, the Ambassador who represent the, per, the people of Myanmar. So Ambassador Ujo Motron was one of the Myanmar diplomats who uh, basically bravely raised his three fingers and supported the democracy movement in Myanmar. He is now the representative uh, Ambassador of Myanmar under the UN uh, credential committees, uh, not allowing military to represent at the UN uh, General Assembly. Uh, UN General Assembly also issued a June resolution of 2021. Uh, that resolution is pretty uh, uh, clear that it doesn't recognize the coup in Myanmar. And then UN Security Council trying to uh, uh, move things a little bit farther, but it doesn't go much more than press releases so far. Uh, UN Security Council should be doing a global arms embargo if it could uh, be organized, but China and Russia are not going to be uh, allowing that happen because they are also selling weapons to Myanmar military. And then UN General Secretary General UN Secret uh, Secretary General has a special uh, special envoy. Uh, uh, special envoy is uh, basically. Uh, setting agenda for the uh, Secretary Generals and um, with regard to Myanmar, uh, she has made a statement uh, recently in the media 
saying the ASEAN centrality, Association of Southeast Asian Nations centrality may, should be the UN's uh, approach to this because ASEAN is a regional organization. Myanmar is, uh, is a member of ASEAN. So this is uh, currently how ASEAN uh, centrality is being proposed by the UN. So um, with ASEAN, uh, Association of Southeast Asian Nation, uh, the way in which ASEAN responded to Myanmar crisis was by um, meeting of uh, high level meeting on February, uh, April 24th, 2021. With that, uh, it issued five point consensus. At that meeting, military uh, leader Min Aung Hlaing was there and he probably, uh, he definitely agreed with the uh, five point, um, but uh, the ASEAN's um, approach is mainly uh, dictated by the influence of China in Singapore, because Singapore is the largest foreign investor in Myanmar, and then uh, followed by China uh, in Hong Kong and Thailand, and so on. Uh, so the uh, Singaporean also banks, private banks, uh, UOB, OCBC, and DBS, uh, those three banks have been reportedly uh, holding the Myanmar uh, Central Bank's foreign reserve, which is about 5.7 billion US dollar. And so that is a pretty important uh, uh, amount of money for the Myanmar military to have access to if they wish, uh, if they could. Uh, so it is important the United States work with Singaporean government to keep that money uh, in, in Singapore. Uh, but Singaporean government officially has denied that having that such amount in, in the Singaporean government control, which is partially true because the private banks are controlling it according to the report. And then Cambodia recently uh, uh, became a chair for this year. Uh, uh, and so Cambodia attempted to break through, but it went nowhere. Uh, uh, so ASEAN centrality was uh, then further proposed by UN Secretary General's office. Uh, diplomat and also China is also behind ASEAN centrality. So to look at ASEAN, what does that mean? What that means uh, uh, in terms of ASEAN centrality is we need to look at that five point consensus words by words as they are written. But before these five points uh, in their uh, statement, uh, there are nine paragraphs. In those nine paragraphs, uh, there were no mention of uh, 2020 November 8 election and legitimacy of that election. And also the outcome of that election is not mentioned. And also the, the military council in Myanmar that nullified the election wasn't also uh, described or discussed or mentioned in that statement. So basically what ASEAN is uh, uh, standing here is uh, with the agreement of, I guess, China and Singapore, and also uh, testically with Myanmar military, they issued this five statement. And this statement, the first one is basically said, there shall be uh, immediate cessation of violence in Myanmar and all parties shall exercise utmost restraint. In fact, this is a very misleading because uh, the violence was done by the military against the people. People were peacefully protesting and military was the one who started shooting uh, with sniper uh, head, especially to the, to the head of young women um, so that was how the violence started. And then in addition to that, currently going on with bombing uh, with the Air, Air Force and burning of the villages, uh, burning down, uh, burning the peoples alive and so on. These are happening all over Myanmar in the east and west side of Myanmar currently as we speak. And military is responsible for the violence. So ASEAN, this point number one is already misleading. Point number two is that 
uh, constructive dialogues among all parties concerned shall commence to seek a peaceful solution in the interest of the people. Uh, this is although not uh, happening because the military had already denied the National League for Democracy as a important and critical uh, uh, actor in Myanmar politics. And also it also denied national unity government as a uh, people's government. So basically this is not going to happen under, uh, under this military council and ASEAN is not even pointing that out, uh, so to speak. Um, the third point is a, spe a special envoy of the ASEAN chair shall facilitate mediation of the dialogue process with the assistant of the Secretary General of ASEAN. Uh, ASEAN uh, uh, started with Brunei, uh, was a chair before Cambodia and special envoy was uh, appointed, but it went nowhere. Uh, they were not able to meet with uh, leaders of National League for Democracy or they never have so far trying to meet with the leaders of national unity government either. Uh, there may be backdoor kind of communication and phone conversation going on, but it's not necessarily uh, publicly with the statement and official policy of ASEAN. The fourth is ASEAN shall provide humanitarian assistance through assistance through HA uh, center in ASEAN humanitarian center, assistance center. That is also not happening, uh, maybe country by country trying to help Singapore send some help with the COVID crisis. And then uh, ASEAN as a whole hasn't done much in terms of to reach the public in the ethnic area or uh, public in general. Uh, again, country by country basis is happening in, in some uh, part of the country. The fifth is the special envoy of ASEAN and delegation shall visit Myanmar to meet with all party concerned. And they have met, they have visited, uh, they have met with uh, just only military leaders, not all party concerned either. So none of these five points uh, uh, are working and it, it is basically stalled. And also, even if these work, it won't mean much to the ethnic minorities and their revolution, which has been going on for over 70 years. It doesn't mean much to the democracy movement that is now known as the spring revolution. Either it is just basically what uh, China has uh, produced with Singapore to basically buy time for Myanmar military. So this could be uh, this this is the ASEAN centrality. So that ASEAN centrality, if United Nation is buying into it, or if United States is buying into it, it is not really helping the people of Myanmar. It will be helping the military council of Myanmar to buy more time to continue what it has been doing since the February 1st. So with that, I will leave, uh, I will now start the question and answer. And I think we have a moderator to moderate and uh, I will stop sharing the screen. Thank you so much uh, uh, again for your, in, uh, your, your attention. Thank you so much, Professor Tunmin. And this uh, gave us both an overview, but an awesome history and a perspective. And this is uh, one of the reasons we've asked our moderator this evening, uh, Christy Seiber, uh, who's a, an associate professor of political science at St. John's and School of St. Benedict's. And she's someone who's been looking at the intersection of human rights and international affairs over the course of her career and also in um, the activities of her life. And I wanna uh, welcome her, thank her again for being with us this evening. And, Hand the microphone over to you, Professor Cyber. 
Thank you so much. It's really an honor to be speaking with you, Professor Mian, um, as someone who has such a deep history and clear passion for this issue. Um, I, I guess I kind of want to start where you ended, which is the ASEAN's issue of ASEAN centrality. Can you tell us a little bit more about why ASEAN has struggled with this issue of the crisis in Myanmar and the military coup? What is it about the organization, given that there's so much um, weight put on it in the international community, that has meant that the organization hasn't been able to effectively manage this crisis? ASEAN is not like EU, where you may have unifying uh, sort of policy and parliaments uh, in an effective way of dealing a little bit more than effective, relatively speaking, with ASEAN. So ASEAN itself is quite diverse in terms of political system. We have Laos, uh, Vietnam, socialist slash communist uh, government. Uh, and then we have uh, Thailand itself is also under the military council. Uh, military government in Thailand as well. Indonesia is democracy now, uh, full-blown. Malaysia uh, and then Philippines. Uh, so you have these very diverse countries. And so they, uh, Cambodia is another authoritarian, uh, basically a democracy country, uh, so, so to speak, democratic authoritarian state. So if you look at the, uh, uh, the diversity of these political regimes in uh, ASEAN and also uh, the level of economic developments also is very different, uh, meaning that go all the way to healthcare, education, all of that. And ASEAN as a whole is struggling with that. And they are working towards somewhat ASEAN identity and ASEAN unity and ASEAN uh, basically centrality is just one of the themes that they are trying to drum up. And so crisis in Myanmar, uh, maybe they thought it is opportunity to present ASEAN as a whole and then represent uh, the ASEAN and then create a uni unifying policy but unifying policy is not going to happen in ASEAN. And that's uh, centrality is basically just a word. It's not going to happen either because Myanmar uh, population, people are not going to accept it. Uh, national unity government is not going to easily accept what uh, ASEAN centrality, especially with this, these five points that is laid out by it. So I think not only struggle within the ASEAN members, but also uh, uh, the Myanmar public is not going to allow to have to happen it to to let it happen ASEAN centrality to take over. So that is the reason both the domestic uh, situation in Myanmar and international context within ASEAN are probably going to forbid uh, ASEAN centrality to take place. So. In your discussion of ASEAN, you also mentioned the role of China. Can you tell us a little bit more about the role that China is playing, especially because it seems as though China is sending out mixed messages. On one hand, it wants to see a return to the civilian government. On the other hand, um, it's not. It doesn't appear that it's putting much pressure on the military to, to actually make that shift back to the civilian government. Yeah, uh, uh, so China, when we say China, we have to break it down, break China down into different pieces because China's tend to operate in that way then a unifying sort of Chinese uh, uh, policy in some cases, uh, break it down is important. Second is the Chinese history with Myanmar. Uh, it's very important. Uh, so I will start with the first one, which is the, uh, breaking down China. Uh, Chinese investment in Myanmar uh, during the 10 years from 2010 to 2020 
uh, is uh, at the top with Singapore being at the top. Uh, so basically uh, investment from Singapore, Hong Kong, China are basically the same. Uh, some of the Chinese companies are registered in Hong Kong. Some of them are registered in Singapore to skirt some of the international sanctions and so on. So overall, the, within 10 years, uh, China, the, the total investment from Hong Kong, um, uh, Singapore, and China has about uh, 60.17% uh, 60 of total foreign investment in Myanmar, uh, the, the China control. And in, in terms of billions of dollars, we're talking about 55.7 billion US dollar worth of money. This is not including selling weapon to ethnic minorities uh, ethnic arms organization that China has also influential uh, position in, especially in Xi'an State Northern Arms Ethnic Groups, so-called known as the Northern Groups, and also Arakan uh, AA and all of that Chinese relationship with. Uh, so we're not counting these money yet, okay? And then plus China had invested uh, since the coup in Myanmar, it's about 10 billion since February 1st, 2021. Uh, those investments are uh, reportedly going into, including reported by the uh, military council's new light of uh, Myanmar newspaper, uh, reportedly going into electricity and the uh, agriculture. Now, dry zone agriculture trainings are underway with Chinese investment, uh, which is a kind of urbanization they're imagining that trying to create uh, that Myanmar military is also, I think, in some way trying to create that by getting rid of rural uh, villages and town and by bombing and Syrian style kind of bombing, trying to create urban, forced urbanization in the 1960s that, that we know as a political scientist written by Huntington. Anyway, so the this type of strategy is taking place and so China is behind it. And because of that uh, 55, over 55 billion plus about uh, in terms of projects, we are talking about 1,000, about 1,200 uh, economic uh, projects in Myanmar, they control. And because of this, uh, this uh, investment or asset that you have, and although China is uh, very comfortable and familiar working with council like military council. So they, they know that their asset need to be protected and therefore they would rather uh, work with the military council to do so. Uh, Dong San Suu Kyi government started reviewing contracts and so on, it was trying to minimize Chinese uh, investment in a slow and steady manner. And that was also 2020 election campaign uh, promises and theme that National League for Democracy was running. In fact, that was the reason why President Xi went to in Myanmar in 2020. And then later on, his, he sent his foreign minister all the way to three weeks before the coup. He was in Myanmar. Basically, China had to have green light to Myanmar military to do this, uh, what they did. Do you think, so the European Union recently announced new sanctions that take aim at the oil and gas, uh, the state oil and gas company. Will this move the needle at all in terms of generating pressure um, more than the sanctions that are already put on, on the military government? It would do some, but not necessarily sufficient enough to really help uh, democracy movement to move toward uh, or uh, uh, condition the military leader to quit what they're doing, right? It won't be that much. Uh, as I said, uh, China, and then another country that is critical here is Russia. Uh, Russia, we are reading in the news with Ukraine. Uh, Russia was invaded by, invited by ASEAN to conduct the first, the first time ever 
in the ASEAN water uh, Navy exercise, military exercise uh, invited by ASEAN in December, first week of December, 2021. Russia participated with ASEAN Navy and they had uh, both virtual and on the water exercise as well. And so what that means uh, to some extent uh, is the, the ASEAN is also signaling to the country that are a freer democratic country that you better uh, work with us, you better come to us as well. Because if you don't, uh, we have China and Russia next door to us and they are also already spending money and also militarily, they are also help, helping already. I think this may be the reason why the National Demo uh, the Defense Authorization Act, the US mm -hmm. uh, uh, Congress passed, uh, clearly defined the, in the one of the section in, the, uh, in that ad uh, on Myanmar question, to what extent Myanmar sovereignty has been insulted by all conditioned by Chinese and Russian influence. And so this is a, one of the clauses within the NDAA. So I think, going after Russia and China at the United Nations Security Council with the arms embargo will be more effective than the MOGE sanction. Uh, it has to be done, it should be done. Uh, and beginning with even like small thing like no flying zones since I show you the map, right? Uh, bombing happening. So I think the international community has to be more honest with the global public about what it's doing international diplomats has to be more open, transparent, and honest with, with the challenge the world as a whole face. They cannot be using traditional diplomatic language and pretend that we are deeply concerned. Uh, uh, we, we are concerned, we can't, they can't just do it because the rise of authoritarian um, uh, system and the leaders is a threat to freedom of all agencies and individuals around the world and democracy around the world. So this is a serious one. And I'm saying here, connecting the dot here, uh, China and Russia alliance is going, moving forward. So sanctions uh, are not going to be sufficient. They are meaningful uh, in terms of politics and some way to state uh, your position, but they are not sufficient to actually get the job done. So you've, you've brought me to my next question, which is the idea of an arms embargo. Given that Russia is, is supplying um, the, the military government with weapons up to this day, um, and given what you've said about China and their interest in, in perhaps keeping the military government in power, how do you think an arms embargo can be crafted at the international level that will really be effective and um, take away some of the power of the military government? I think United Nations Security Council level, even the press re release they were trying to produce on February 4th was watered down by China and Russia. Now we're not talking even about the arms embargo and all that as a UN sanction. We're just talking about press statement from the UN Security Council. So that basically gives you a sense of what can be done within the UN Security Council with the veto power of the China, China and Russia there. Uh, what United States and EU and other democracy can do is a creative uh, diversifying regional country-based arms embargo, regardless mm -hmm. of whether China and Russia would follow through it because it is necessary. Necessary in a sense, you got to really state your position, not just with the statement 
and sanction alone, but also clearly with action. So, uh, so European Union uh, can take the similar position, uh, the independent uh, position on that, uh, have arms embargo. In fact, uh, United Nations just, I think, released a report uh, only nine countries uh, selling uh, the weapons to Myanmar. Uh, military, including China and Russia and Serbia and Belarus, and uh, including South Korea, which is uh, very uh, surprised to me. South Korea is involved mm -hmm. in selling their military weapon. And United States it used to be also selling, but I don't think anything going right now. But what I'm saying is that I think the creative, more diversifying, if you were, polycentric approach to a, a, a global arms embargo might be useful We are going about it at this point. Uh, uh, considering the veto power uh, at the UN Security Council is heavy. So the other thing is UN Security Council itself have to be self-examining uh, moving forward uh, for its own organization, also for crisis like Myanmar. Now, Myanmar democracy movement is uh, very unique and the first uh, of its kind in the history of the world's democracy movement, where uh, the entire population is against the state military, state army. The Myanmar military is now behaving like the world's largest terrorist organization. So that what you see is burning people alive in the villages, burning down villages, bombing uh, indiscriminately, uh, killing one years old uh, kids uh, in the lab of the father to a 90 years old uh, uh, man beating up in the villages. All of these are, I mean, you couldn't uh, imagine that the humanity would be capable of doing it in, in one way or the other. But what I mean, that, that, that is a threat to agency and freedom of anybody who can think. And so I think that message needs to be taken seriously. The people of Myanmar is sending very clear and peaceful way as well. Uh, they have been just engaging defensive wars so far. Uh, again, one, one of the military is moving to attack villages, they will attack them. And so it's a very justifying in, in terms of just war theory and whatnot, a war mm -hmm. that they're engaging. So it, 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 it gives you a clear message that United Nation has to be uh, mature enough to face a future global crisis that we are facing. Um, so that's my observation and analysis of UN Security uh, Council's uh, um, task uh, that at hand. Uh, it needs it need a new way of thinking about doing um, on the crisis like Myanmar. So listening to you, I can't help but see some parallels with the um, conflict in Bosnia. And, the, and, and what, I'm, what I'm wondering is, is there any, you know, if an arms embargo might be ineffective because of the role of states like Russia, Serbia, and Belarus, would should policymakers be thinking about potentially arming the opposition um, as a way of reaching out and responding to the Myanmar people who are continuing to protest the government, who are joining people's defense forces? Should that be on the table to actually arm the opposition? I think it should be on the table. But before we answer should question, what, uh, what are the um, uh, uh, consequences of that, right? And people are, as I said, engaging in defensive war and people, Myanmar people themselves are, are willing to engage if in fact offensive war uh, right now against Myanmar military. In fact, Myanmar military members about, uh, including the police, 16,000 
I, uh, as of uh, last week, the number from inside the military and also inside the CDM soldiers, several disobedient movement participants, uh, soldiers and police are saying about uh, 16,000 now. So even some of the low-ranking Myanmar military soldiers and police are joining the civilian PDF, People Defense Forces, and working with the uh, with with the with the people to uh, get rid of Myanmar uh, uh, military dictators. I think it's a very legitimate uh, way to think about whether we should uh, earn. Uh, uh, it would be a lot cheaper than invading Iraq or even sending to a troop to Afghanistan. It is a People themselves just need weapon. You don't need you don't need to drop soldiers, U.S. military mm -hmm. soldier or tank in Myanmar. If you uh, basically support the EAO ethnic arms organization and the BDF, uh, you might uh, achieve what uh, the world had never been able to imagine achieving by invading country and demo, quote unquote democratizing countries, mm -hmm. uh, which are mostly failure around the world. Here, Myanmar people themselves are asking for help in that direction. Mm -hmm. And the other is, um, if you don't want to arm, and because of the diplomatic uh, relationships and the diplomatic, diplomatic frameworks and, and international laws and so on, what you could do is you could all out give humanitarian assistance to ethnic arms organizations and civilian in Myanmar through mm -hmm. national unity government. National unity government should be at least recognized at least recognize in function, it is working with the people if you don't want to recognize legally. Uh, if you do so, what do you would do? Then then the resources that they have internally, I heard some of the businesses inside Myanmar are also funding and helping the PDFs and national unity governments works. So they can then creatively allocate the resources that they get to where they need to go for actual action, concrete action that people want to take in Myanmar. So if you think, if you think so many possible way to help Myanmar, I think the answer to your question of should might be clear to uh, international uh, community or global citizen who want to help. In fact, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the global donation to Myanmar democracy movement has been rising. Uh, and diaspora uh, from uh, Myanmar has been uh, putting a lot of money into Myanmar's people's hand with the humanitarian and with the COVID crisis and with the coup uh, they're facing. And so I think there are so many creative way about going without even explicitly stating we are giving you M16 or AK-47. <laughs> you can just do a smart way. Uh, I'm not saying here covert action. I'm saying policy-wise, you can just say mm -hmm. humanitarian assistance coming for education, for healthcare, for shelter, for uh, CDM uh, workers, uh, for food, for CDM family, if you you just donate and aid mm -hmm. Myanmar people, they will be very creative. Um, um, it is already creative. They have denied successfully Myanmar Military Council, which is a 36 ranked in, in the world's military army. It's 36 mm -hmm. ranked. And they have made that military unable to function as a even proper military council, let alone finishing the coup. Now, military itself is behaving, acting like, as I said, the world's largest terrorist organization against civilians. So this is really a, a great uh, uh, opportunity for global uh, Democrats, if you will, to take mm -hmm. a serious note and think critically, not just for Myanmar, but for your own freedom at home. So we're a year out from the coup and the... Uh, the civilian movement is 
extremely impressive, just the persistence of continuing to resist um, military efforts and, and denying the military the ability to actually control the country and actually have a successful coup. But how long do you think that that civilian resistance can be maintained? Or how long can this kind of state of flux be maintained if there isn't, you know, more dedicated international assistance? I, th I think instead of asking that how long the civilian can take um, for this uh, resistance, how soon the international community is critically engaging with the Myanmar question that we just raised through earlier questions and how soon they have actually a sensible minded diplomats and people who can, who, 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 who have a, some courage a common courage, not like a fervent, you know, warrior courage, a common courage to say something that in the right way, mm -hmm. to say something, uh, to do something that in the right way, how soon can they do it? I think that would be the question. The other is Myanmar people uh, have been fighting this for 73 years for some of the ethnic minorities. I said earlier, this is the longest civil war on the planet going on uh, for uh, civilian who are in the urban area, this is only 12 months of uh, atrocity they experience. All the atrocity I just spell out uh, have been in the hand, uh, minority ethnic group has been suffering. And as recent as 2017, about 700,000 Rohingya people were pushed out of the country. Their villages were burned down, right? So they have been quite resilient for not just 11 months, 73 years in, for those ethnic minority groups. And so what is taking so long for the world and also international community, especially ASEAN, to realize that history. The other is also China's um, uh, uh, Chinese government uh, uh, leaders, I think are quite worried of their own uh, social change within China if Myanmar became democracy. Uh, I said it this with uh, not lightly just observing last 12 months, but uh, tying to 1988 democracy movement in which I was a student activist. And uh, in 1989, I was on the Thailand and Burma border area. I was listening to BBC and VOA, one Chinese student in Tiananmen Square were using similar tactic we did in 1988 and similar tactic, the South Korean student were overthrowing their own dictators in South Korea. So there's a historical background uh, in South uh, East Asia and Southeast Asia, including Philippines, uh, the democracy movement. So I think the right question to ask is not how long can they uh, hold on this uh, this um, uh, resi resistance is is a kind of a little bit insulting to them and all the belittling their 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 seventy years of uh, mm -hmm. engagement with that what, that way if we address this question. So I would rather put it in differently in this case. Uh, how soon international community with right-minded people and some sense of common sense leadership can come up with some sort of a creative solution to a creative help, not solution, creative help to the Myanmar people. And there's a, a lot of way. Now, the first way is to recognize national unity government easily. It was mm -hmm. voted by the people and Norma 8, 2020, and it is now representing the people in a defensive, peaceful way. Now, military is attacking them left and right every day, every second as we speak, right? So what is taking the United States uh, Congress or United States leadership 
to recognize this national unity government as a representative of the people. UN General Assembly, at the least, have through the credential committee, have made a clear statement that we will not allow military leaders representative to be ambassador of Myanmar. We will allow, we will keep the old, the former ambassador who was serving democratic government from 2015 to 2020, continuing to serve as a representative of the people of Myanmar. So I think even UN General Assembly, which is one of the most bureaucratic organization in the world, have done some quite good job in that front. Uh, forget about UN Security Council, forget about Secretary General's office, but General Assembly has, as the rightful representative of global people, the world's people, they have done quite a remarkable job in that front. Why can't United States Senate or Congress do that? Do that mean recognize the, the nation unity government? So you you mentioned the role of of you know donations and the role of the diaspora. Um, speaking to our Minnesota community that might be listening tonight, that that probably knows someone who's come to the state from Myanmar or you know has a, a community organization um, that they are aware of. What can we as Minnesotans do? to kind of honor the efforts of the civilians who are resisting the military government and support them? There are so many organizations, if you uh, Google uh, uh, to uh, help Myanmar democracy movement, you will find so many organizations. And uh, uh, I, I can tell you about the organization I and a few colleagues who are scholars of Southeast Asia co-founded the Mutual Aid Myanmar. So if you type in mutualaidmyanmar.org, uh, one word, uh, you will find the organization. We have raised uh, uh, now about uh, 750,000 US dollar to support uh, CDM families for their shelter, food, and their kids' uh, nutrition. And we are distributing locally on the ground with the local people in Myanmar. Uh, and this is one of the many organizations that, that are helping Myanmar uh, uh, people, including ethnic controls area. And so, so far we have been able to help about uh, uh, 15,000 uh, CDM families uh, with, with the donation from about uh, 65 countries, uh, individual donors, uh, some of which are also uh, businesses, uh, multinational corporations uh, are also uh, having a matching donation with their employees uh, donation. So these, the, these global donors are helping. And Minnesotans can do similarly. Uh, you have the Korean Organization of Minnesota uh, and then other Korean uh, organization within St. Paul, Minnesota, and also other the, the, the US-based NGOs that are working with like Avan Roots uh, in the Twin Cities. Uh, you can also uh, help them uh, to reach to different area of the country in Myanmar. Um, so, that's a small way. And the other is to call your senator, your congressman to pick up uh, the Burma bill 2021 that is now being, um, being mocked up uh, at, the, at the house and Senate is now sitting on it, not doing anything. And although at the same time, uh, call them up and tell them to read carefully the National Defense Authorization Act Section 1651 and others. Uh, there are three sessions on Myanmar. Uh, let them, uh, you can read it and maybe search with it, uh, find Burma word, and then you will, you will find the session. You supply those to your uh, senators and congressmen and ask them to take action. And those are the kind of things you can do small here in, in, in Minnesota as well. 
Thank you. Thank you so much. And it really has been a pleasure chatting with you tonight. Thank you both for bringing us this big picture and then some of the intricacies. And of course, there's so much nuance. And tonight, I just appreciated so much how you've given us some ideas of ways that people can make a difference, but also really help to lift a fog in a way of uh, for some disinformation, but just some misinformation. So we look forward to continuing this conversation. I want to alert everyone watching uh, for some webinars coming up. Uh, March 17th, um, Jill Doherty, who one of our most important commentators and real experts on U.S., Russia, and especially Russian vision in Europe. She'll be returning. She's been uh, almost an annual guest and a really popular and very insightful program. So that will be the evening of March 17th. April 7th is our all-day World Health Day Symposium, focusing on accelerating health equity by design. Lots of uh, international speakers and local looking at what are people doing to address the the uh, injustices and disparities that we find in our health health system, especially as they've been exposed by the COVID pandemic. And then our own Global Minnesota board member, Ambassador Ross Wilson, and uh, his wife, Margot Stark, who's also a foreign service officer. Um, uh, uh, this evening of uh, April 13th, they will... Um, uh, they will be giving us the opportunity or the first opportunity to really hear about their experience in serving in our U.S. Um, embassy in Kabul in these last two years. And this um, experience, as you can imagine, is uh, very special, very unique. Um, Margot's is Margot Squires, uh, the uh, cultural affairs officer, was a cultural affairs officer. And, and Ambassador Ross Wilson was the uh, charge affairs, so the acting ambassador. So these are the kind of programs you can find them on our website. Just go to globalminnesota.org and there are many others as well. But tonight we had an opportunity to look more deeply into a region that's special because there's so many people in our own state um, from Myanmar, Burma. And um, we are blessed to have these neighbors who come from really around the world. Um, but we know that there's also a great deal of connection and a great deal of concern. And so tonight we have a chance to know more about a part of the planet that's a long ways away, but a lot more about our neighbors who are right here with us. So with that, we wanna thank everyone who tuned in tonight and um, invite you back. And again, if you're thinking about contributing in some way to Global Minnesota, please join us as a member. You can find information about that on the website. Your membership helps to keep these kind of programs available free of charge on a global basis. And there's lots of other benefits as well. So with that, good night, good evening, good morning, wherever you're watching us from, and to our two special guests tonight, Thank you again. Good evening. Thank you.